What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, I'm Brandon Perna, host of That's Good Sports, a 10-minute-ish daily NFL comedy podcast. Have you ever wished for a crappy version of The Daily Show, but only about the NFL? Then, first and foremost, I implore you to dream much bigger. Secondly, I would recommend subscribing to That's Good Sports. Every weekday, I will be giving you NFL news, telling questionable jokes, and swearing just enough so you won't ever be able to listen with your kids in the room or car. I don't ask for a lot, but if you don't subscribe on iTunes, my wife said she will leave me. Thanks, and I look forward to putting my voice in your ear holes. What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you to bring part two of our Pacific Division regular season preview. If you missed part one of this podcast, we talked about the Lakers, the Phoenix Suns, and the Sacramento Kings. I highly suggest you check it out. It was quite the banger, if I do say so myself. On part two, we'll be talking about the Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Clippers. Bleacher Report's Grant Hughes, both a co-worker and great friend of mine, is once again with us. Follow him on Twitter at GT underscore Hughes. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Favale. That's F-A-V-A-L-E. Follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. Follow the show on Twitter as well at Hardwood Knox. And speaking again of Hardwood Knox, as I remind you every episode, please rate, review, and definitely subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't done so already. We can be found wherever else you're getting your podcast, but iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you are out there, that you are listening Throw us that five-star rating. Write a review. We've seen them rolling in. We really appreciate the comments. We're taking all the feedback into account. Uh, The kind words warm our hearts. The not-so-kind words are appreciated as well. Just keep the reviews, the ratings, and the subscriptions coming. If you've done all three of those things, refer us to a friend, frenemy, acquaintance, coworker, anyone who you think could use some enriching basketball analysis in their life. They won't regret it. We promise you. Finally, Remember to follow Blue Wire on Twitter, at Blue Wire Pods. You'll be able to check out all the other great content that we're pumping out at Blue Wire, and you'll also be able to check out all the straight-fire tweets that I have coming out on that account on a daily basis. With all that out of the way, though, let us get to Part 2 of our Pacific Division Preview with Bleacher Report's Grant Hughes. Uh, we get to move on to the Sacramento Kings, the plucky Sacramento Kings, 39-43 and 43 last year. What was their most underrated move of the offseason? Um, it, it might honestly just be that they didn't do anything ridiculous, right? Because, like, I mean, they did some stuff that was not smart that we'll get to. But, I mean, you know, generally for King's standards, um, they they were okay. Like, I, you know, I kind of like Corey Joseph. I like all the, the non-guarantees that, that they handed out. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I guess maybe... 
If it's underrated, I think maybe just the sort of shrewdness they showed in length of contracts given out, Harrison Barnes excluded, um, kind of counts for me as as like a, a very non-Kings, uh, historically pretty sharp way to approach it. The For me, that, that's no, that's totally fine, though, to go that way. And look, some of the numbers jump off the page of the contracts, yeah. and I think it's easy to, we'll get to that in the next question, but it would be easy if we're talking about the movie like The Least to say, oh, they really just signed uh, Corey Joseph to three years, $37.2 million. Uh, only 30 of that's guaranteed, and that's actually still a really high number. I know people around the league yeah. are flummoxed yeah. when that happened, but it's just the numbers don't look th- that – they're actually not as large as they seem, and that's why my pick is just Dwayne Dedman. Yeah. Uh, they, they can essentially look at this as a two-year $26.7 million deal, but it's a three-year $40 million deal with 26.7 guaranteed uh, the final year – is actually, I think it's fully um, non-guaranteed or it's close. It's only a million guaranteed. So I'll I'll take that deal all the time because if you're picking it up, he succeeded. He's someone who spaces the floor, can protect the rim. He is sneaky switchable on the defensive end just where he can hang in space. You don't want him to be the Anthony Davis, but like he can handle um, some switches and being on those islands. That's if you're like the Kings and you have so many bigs and you just you view – Marvin Bagley is a four. You need that type of center because Bagley needs to get his touches in the post. He's he's just already so comfortable, you know, just turning around and firing on the block. And when you have Deadman as your five, now you, you have paths to five-way lineups without giving up size. Yeah. Deadman and Bagley, with the way that Bagley was shooting the ball at the end of last year, are give you a five-out lineup, but, you know, assuming they don't put someone stupid in the, the other spot. So I really liked the addition of him, and I don't think it prohibits you too much from giving Bagley and Giles some reps at the five too. You have to sort of commit to then playing Barnes and Ariza at the three a little bit more maybe, or or having Deadman on, on the bench and be at least not playing much so that you can get to lineups where Bagley or Giles is at the five and, and you play a small ball four. But there are permutations that will work. Minutes distributions got that can work. And, and again, I'm just a, a big Dwayne Deadman fan. If anything, you know, they have Richon Holmes on this roster too. So it does seem like there's overkill in the front court, but he's someone that, that fits whatever style stylistic identity that, that they're aiming for. Yeah. Deadman was, that is that guy that, uh, you know, every team that sort of needed a center that you didn't want to spend huge, like, you know, let's not think about targeting say, uh, Nikola Vucevic or whatever, you know, who could really be, you know, fit there as Deadman. And you could have said that about like 20 different teams. So for them to get him and you know do it basically on a two two years of guaranteed money is great. I think if there's yeah that's that's clearly if there's one guy that's the signing that I think I like the best. The one to jump ahead that I I just uh, you know I, I just don't like is Harrison Barnes for four years and is it eighty five I think yep. and as fully you said guaranteed. fully guaranteed Wait, yeah can no we pour options. one out for Harrison Barnes being a wizard free agency. This guy owns free agency. He he's just like he, he's going to be one of those guys when his career's over. You're like Harrison Barnes made six hundred million dollars, you know, like <laughs> something like that. Because he's good. It just he always cleans up. The, so the problem is, and you you hit on it. They view him as a small forward, um, and I just I don't know how many other teams in the league would agree with that. And I think the majority is right that he's a power forward. But you got to play Bagley. You got to get Giles's minutes up front. So he's just going to play the three. Um, and he's going to be paid like a, you know, like a star to do it. And he's just, he's not, um, he's fine. He's a fine player, but he's like a mid-level exception or a little bit better than that player to me. Um, but the Kings, I think viewed themselves as kind of, you know, stuck because 
you know, they traded for him and to lose him so quickly would have been a bad look and the optics still matter and, and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, I just, uh, I, I would have rather just gone into the season with, you know, if you want to play Ariza as a starter, fine. If you want to play Bogdanovich and Hill together on the wings, I totally cool with that, even though you give up some defense there. Um, but I didn't like the Barnes, Barnes deal at all. That was my pick too. And if we shifted a little bit, it's, did they have to sign Barnes and Ariza? Like, couldn't they at least get somewhat of a true three? I know Ariza, I'm okay with him playing the three, but as he gets older, you would think that it makes more sense to play the four. And I know his contract is mitigated by the fact that I think he only has uh, $1.8 million guaranteed in his second year or something like that. Yeah, 1.8. So you can look at it as a short-term investment. At the same time, that's money when you just look at it in conjunction with Barnes. Next season alone, they're all of a sudden paying both of those guys $36.4 million about. Why couldn't we have gone after a Marcus Morris for this roster? or someone like that, it would seem like if you were going the dual big route like you clearly did, why couldn't there have been a, a, more of an effort to sign a true wing? And, you know, the point about Marcus Morris, he hung around free agency for a while, and even when he actually agreed to a contract, he was still available, apparently. So <laughs> Maybe he he's the master of free agency. I think just to put a, put a bow on it, the other thing, too, is if you're going to commit that money to Barnes um, – you you've got Fox, you've got Heald, you've got Bagley, and you've got Bogdanovich who are going to be due up for contracts in the next you know one and two years basically. Um, you can, they can extend Heald now, Bogdanovich too, but but his deal is his contract is structured in such a way that he'd be insane to take a, an extension now rather than hit free agency. But like those guys are all much more important than Barnes and and I just I think you're tying up money in the wrong guy when you're really going to have to spend a lot of it to keep these guys that that matter a lot more. And ironically, I'd have zero problem with this contract just about if if, if they were planning on playing him as a full-time power forward. Yeah, I agree. That would change it completely to me. But they, that's just not an option because I think Bagley, honestly, is playing down a position as it is. Like, I, I'd almost rather just see them say, screw it, he's going to play the five and we're going to just outrun everybody. But but yeah, the positional stuff is, is kind of messy there. What's your biggest question for this team leading into next year? I mean, it's it's sort of similar to the is the vintage LeBron enough to make them a contender. Um, I, I do foresee I, I'll I'll give away a lot of what I think about this team, but I think Fox is going to take a massive leap, um, and I think Bagley showed enough last year for me to sort of get past all the questions I had about him uh, pre-draft and, and and stuff. I think Bagley is going to be a good possibly limited one dimensional, you know, one sided NBA player with potential to be a good defender. I think those guys are going to be way better. And I wonder if that's enough to get them to the playoffs. Um, and I kind of lean towards no, and that's a bummer and that's going to trigger a lot of impatience. And I wonder how the franchise is going to handle that. Yeah. I, that's- I, I think that's a great question. And it's, did they, again, they didn't necessarily tether themselves long-term to this payroll, but you did give out the fully guaranteed Harrison Barnes contract, four years, $85 million. Buddy Heald is extension eligible, uh, and he's going to sign a contract next summer. De'Aaron Fox then will be extension eligible right behind him. You're getting to the point where you started investing in outside pieces, even if you want to include the Deadman contract, if you think he's going to be there for the full three years. And now you're getting to a point where you have to reinvest in your core, and where do they stack up in the West? That's a question that's sort of later, but are they good enough to say that this is the core that we can move forward with. And it's not about Fox. He is he is a, a viable number one. And uh, he, spoiler, will be part of my bold prediction. But it's the rest of the roster. And I actually think that Bagley was a little 
I don't even know if he was underrated. People didn't talk about it. I was just really impressed with his defensive effort last year. And so maybe him and Fox are that viable one too. The rest of the roster though is just, it's not just peppered with it. It's inundated with what ifs and if this, then that and, and, and question marks of that ilk. I got another bonus question. I know we don't want to drag this too long, but um, are we sure Luke Walton is an upgrade over Dave Yeager? And, and I asked that because, you know, Jaeger, I think, is is a bristly personality. Um, just being around the team a little bit last year, it was very obvious that um, he and and the way that he's left other stops in his career, he's just kind of hard to get along with. Um, but he is responsible, I think, for this team establishing an identity last year of just we're going to run because we have De'Aaron Fox and no one is as fast as De'Aaron Fox. And it really worked for them. Um, and I think you can attribute that to Jaeger for all his interpersonal issues. I think he kind of had this team playing the way that it needed to. And I don't know if we have the information to confirm or deny that Luke Walton is a good NBA coach. So um, I think Jaeger did have to go, but I really don't know. I I, I have a major significant amount of uncertainty about whether Luke Walton is going to be a reason that they win more than 39 games or fewer. And I think the biggest way to tell this is just, just from an outsider, because we, I think people are too, critical of head coaches in the sense that sure yeah like you know you and i don't really understand the game like it's just you know there are these these far out perspectives that's probably a terrible thing to say on a basketball podcast but whatever it's and so is there going to be a defensive improvement with this team and that's what i think you look towards i don't think there's a guarantee that luke walton is that type of coach i don't know how you could have drawn that conclusion from his time with the warriors i I know he stepped in for steve kerr but he had the best roster in the history of basketball in his yeah that was a substitute teacher stepping in for like the AP whatever class that just ran itself. Like he, it was in mid June yeah. when the AP exactly were taken, they weren't even learning anything. Yeah. That, and, and you, and you can't learn anything about a guy that coaches a LeBron James team really. So you got maybe, what do we have a full, a year of, of non LeBron? I think it's just one, maybe two of Luke Walton as a head coach that, you know, with a young roster, it's just, it's really hard to know. Um, so I think that's something to kind of monitor uh, as the year goes on because Look, the Kings move on from coaches like no other. They have, you know, over the last decade or so. So uh, it would be a rough look for them to uh, find out that Walton was not, uh, you know, a significant improvement, which he would need to be because Jaeger won them 39 games a year ago, which is a huge deal uh, for a Kings team that hasn't made the playoffs since like 06, I think. And that could that win total could very easily go sideways in the wrong direction this year. Yeah. It could. And for by and they this is like the Rubio thing where he's an upgrade, but I hate it. Um the Kings could be a lot better and win fewer games. Um that's just how it is. I mean the West, the West is ridiculous. Is the West is the West. That's exactly. It never changes. Um and you know, their differentials suggest they really did deserve to win those thirty-nine games. Um, but you know, for every leap that Deer and Fox takes, there's the possibility that you know, maybe maybe Bogdanovich, who I love, is worn down from FIBA, from dominating FIBA, by the way. Um, and maybe Barnes just, you know, continues to not fit. I just, you know, they could be better and, and win 38 games and finish, you know, eight games back of the eight spot. It's just, it's it's tough. It's going to be really tough to gauge success for this team, which I feel like we're saying a lot, but, but that's just how I feel with them. Yeah, negative point differential last year, net rating of negative uh, 0.8. That's real outside of crunch time. That's just... That's tough stuff. Yeah. This is a softball. Are they going to be grayed out better on the offensive end or the defensive end? <laughs> well, you know, you say that, 
Um, oh and they were kind of they were kind of mid pack uh, for both last year. I think by NBA.com they were like 17th and 18th or something same, like that. Same with cleaning the glass as well. 17th. And yeah, 18th. maybe it was cleaning the glass. Um, I I think it's offense. Um, just because Bagley's going to play more, and as you say, he's got potential there. But I don't uh, I don't believe that a second year big guy is is suddenly going to be a league average defender. Um, Heald's going to play a lot. He's suspect. Um, I, you know, Fox has a ton of defensive ability and he's, you know, his flashes are as bright as they get, but, um, the load he's going to have to carry is so big that I think again, like last year, we'll see him pick his spots. So, um, probably offense, especially, especially if they, if they run like they did last year, then I think they're really going to run, uh, you know, they're going to pile up transition points. Uh, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. It would be offense. They were maybe, I just don't, their wing defense is just going to be suspect in general when you have Barnes and. Ariza both spending a bulk of their time at the three. And that would be a yeah. main reason for me why I wouldn't pick defense here. Uh, breakout candidate for them or the player most likely to take a leap. Yeah, it's Fox. I mean, um, Again, it felt, double yeah, up. right. La- last year was a leap, I guess. Um, you know, 17 and seven base. I, I kept going back to a stat when I was, whenever I'd write about him last year, I think he was one of a really small number of guys to go 17 and seven while shooting 37% from three or something. Um, and he was like really rare to have done that at his age. Um, but like, we see this, right. It it happens all the time. It's like when we thought Giannis had made the leap and then he made the leap capital L leap after that, not saying Fox is, is on that level, but, um, I just think he has absolutely everything you want in a point guard. Um, he's super competitive. I think he works really hard. He's insanely talented. Um, and I think he's just going to be a guy that if he averaged 25 a game next year and eight assists and shot close to 40% from three, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, so he's, he's my pick and I don't know, uh, I don't know if you could come up with a stat line that I, you know, say was too outlandish uh, for next year for him. I think I agree. I kind of toyed with the idea of Giles or Bagley, I think that's getting too cute, though. De'Aaron Fox is the one person that we can guarantee is not going to have his role impacted by all the things that happened over the offseason. And you could probably say the same thing about Buddy Heald, but he sort of seems like he's at two or close with his ceiling. And with the roster, the way it's built now, he's not going to get more ball handling responsibility. And unless he just shoots up the defensive ladder, I don't know how you'd make the argument for him. And Fox is just going, he was the engine last year, and he's going to be the engine again. He doesn't, you know, I compared this when I was writing about um, him at the end of the season to where Jason Tatum still kind of has to worry about pecking order politics. Those don't yeah. exist in Sacramento. De'Aaron Fox is the guy, and so they're, they're end-all, be-all, essentially. And I'm not, I'm not going to say what I'm going to say because I want to say it for my bold prediction, but he just seems like he's going to make that that next leap, which is even more difficult to make, by the way, because – his his last improve last year's improvement that was the honeymoon leap. Now it's can you take that next level to actual superstar, all NBA level, make an All Star team in the Western Conference? That's a hard jump to make. But watching him last year, it seems like he's fully capable. Yep, I agree. And also, you're forgetting Buddy Heald is on the downside of the aging curve now. Yeah, so oh, he's thirty four. I forgot predicting breakouts for him is. I mean, you're real. That could be your bold prediction is that Buddy Heald improves in his age thirty seven season. <laughs> Look, it's your time to shine. Player most likely to be traded <laughs> on the Kings. Trevor, I don't know his middle name, Ariza. Yeah, just because he has to be. Um, I, I mean, and you know, joking aside, like. Look, I think we haven't even mentioned Nemanja Bielitsa yet, um, and he's someone He's that... my pick, by the way, so have at it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. good. Okay, you can mention him. But oh, So what I was going to say is, like, I kind of want to find minutes for him. 
Um, and I don't know how you do that, but removing Trevor Ariza from the equation might make it easier. The other thing is I think Bogdanovich is just going to deserve to play a lot. So that's another guy who's going to chip into those wing minutes. And again, everybody always wants to trade for Trevor Ariza, so he is my pick. Explain Bielitsa to me. I'm interested in that. The best way to get Bielitsa more minutes is to trade Bielitsa. <laughs> it's, okay. I don't want to see – look, trading – if you trade – Trevor Ariza, you trade Harrison Barnes, you trade Bogdanovich. Bielita should not be on the wing. I'm done with the – the Kings aren't so guilty of this, but when he was in Minnesota, there's just those weird times where he's playing the three. No, he's yeah, a four no. or five. And so you have Giles, Rashawn Holmes, Dwayne Dedman, and Marvin Bagley. Where where are those minutes coming from for him? I mean, right now I guess you could say he's the backup four, but I'm also assuming that they're going to want – you know, we could. I would say Ariza is a trade candidate because he's Trevor Ariza, the walking trade candidate, the annual right. trade candidate. But I'm assuming they want Barnes to play some four, and so that's just going to cannibalize even more of those front court minutes. And I just don't see a long term spot for him. I guess if you trade Trevor Ariza, it makes it easier, but it doesn't really solve the. Yeah, you already have, let's say, two guys who are going to play the four already in, in Giles, even though they might consider Masetter and Bagley. And I'm assuming they want some small ball four minutes. It's just so crowded. I, I think it's going to be him that'd be the player most likely to get traded. Yeah, I, I think that's totally reasonable. Strongest year end of the war can year end of the year end award candidate. Excuse me, I'm saying war <laughs> for no reason in particular. Oh, I, it, this is a tough one. I, I mean, I feel like I can rule out coach of the year and defensive player of the year. Um, I, I you could make the case. I hope I'm not going to step on you here. Um, you could make the case that Bogdanovich um, could be a six-man candidate, but I I have uh, bigger things in mind for him for my bold prediction. Um, so MVP, I, wow. I get yeah. Well, you know, way to spoil it. Um, I uh, am I going to do this? I think it's De'Aaron Fox for MVP. Um, I think I could see him finishing. He's not going to win it, um, but if he's in the top like eight, I could see it. Um, I could see that happening, and I just don't see another obvious one on this roster. Now, my pick is De'Aaron Fox, but it's for MIP, not MVP, <laughs> because it's an award he could have won last year. I think yeah. people are reticent to give it to sophomores, which is to me is actually perfectly fair. I didn't, I, I didn't vote for him either. At the and so you get those. They wouldn't be called sympathetic votes, but just sort of like it's almost it's almost like his candidacy would be evaluated over the past two seasons, not just from year two to year three. At the same time, it wouldn't be completely ridiculous to me if he is the most improved player in the NBA from last season to this coming season. His his stat line was it was, it was great last year, but is it really outside the realm of possibility for him to blow, you know, 17 and eight out of the water this year? I don't oh, think I so. I fully expect it. That's that's why I went. I mean, I I kind of uh, crossed over our categories and just went really bold with my prediction. But but yeah, I like that a lot. I think. I mean, I don't know. Could he be the front runner for MIP right now? Like, I, I just if you had to guess, I, I mean, in the whole league, I don't know who I would pick ahead of him because I again we've both gone back and forth. Like, he's just going to have a monster year. I think it's like a foregone conclusion. Yeah, there's. I I don't think there are any other obvious candidates. I'm, I'm trying, I'm looking right now and I just don't, nothing really just jumps out to me. Maybe I'm forgetting someone obvious. Uh, I, I, I don't think that I am. Yeah. I mean, you get into the Tatum, like maybe he has a huge leap, maybe like, I don't know, maybe Donovan Mitchell becomes like a full on superstar maybe and that Lonzo would get Ball it. Maybe Lonzo Ball stays healthy. Maybe Lonzo Ball. <laughs> maybe Trevor Ariza and a push to get traded just has a bunch of 40 point games and he gets it. 
Um, yeah, no, I, I, I like that a lot. Um, do you have a, do you have a bold prediction? Are we there yet? Yes. We are at the boldest. Uh, oh no, sorry. Line up. You're dying to see from this team. Oh, see, why do you is, hate this category? You keep I don't know because, because I always just pick like, well, this would be a good one. Um, so I, it, it's not interesting. I mean, I, I just, again, so I like Fox. I, th- I don't care how you split it up, but I want Bogdanovich and Heald on the wings. Um, and then I want, I'm going to just go small because I want Barnes to play the four because he is a four. And then I'll play Bagley at the five. Um, and I think if you're trying to spread the floor and run, which is all this team should do, I think that's, I don't know how you top, you know, you could get Giles out there somehow because he's such a good passer. Um, but I'm not going to play him over Bagley or Barnes up front. So I think that's how I do it. I really want to see what probably should be there. It's not going to be their starting lineup, but Fox, Heald, Vardanovich, Bagley, and Deadman. But the lineup that you mentioned, uh, if I, you know, I want put Bagley at the five. That that's yeah. the lineup that that I want to see: Fox, Heald, Vardanovich, Barnes, and Bagley. That's another lineup I want to see. So th- those two lineups are super exciting to me. I'm not high on what I, I think their starting lineup is going to be, where you have Harrison Barnes probably at the three. I'm assuming. For sh- Unless you're bringing for sure. him off the bench and starting a reason. That's not something I'm high on. So I want to see a ton of, of those two lineups. I also wouldn't mind if you can get to it. Let's say you pull Barnes and then throw in Giles. And so I want to see yeah. more of the Bagley-Giles front court together. Yeah, I think, too, if you, you can do that and play a couple of, you know, not you know conventional-ish bigs, if you play Bogdanovich as a, as a second-side playmaker instead of Barnes. Because Bogdanovich really has a ton of point guard skills. And if you're going to play two bigger guys up front— um, I think you can really get a lot of mileage out of having that guy um, who's going to make a play, you know, on the other side when it gets swung from Fox over there. So I like that a lot too. Where are they finishing in the West? I, I mean, I don't think they're a playoff team um, again, and they could improve and that could still be the case. I'll just slot them at ninth. Cause I have, I, I just, I really believe they're going to be better, um, but not, not quite enough. I, I think I'm going with ninth too. And that's, if you can stay Forget about the record. If you can have a slightly better or close to the same point differential and, and finish ninth in next year's Western Conference, there's something to the idea that that would be a win for them. I agree. I agree. Especially, I mean, it, the thing is, I don't think that this franchise would view it that way. Um, I think they're really, even as, as last year, they really wanted to make the playoffs. Um, and I, I it, clearly with a roster that like just wasn't ready for that. Um, but I, I, I'm, cons- I agree. I think I, it's, I think they're ninth and I think that's going to be viewed as a disappointment. And I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Boldish prediction for them. Um, I think Bogdanovich is going to significantly outperform Buddy Heald. Um, and that'll feel like a recency thing just cause he was so good over the summer. Um, but I just think that, you know, Heald is obviously one of the best shooters in the league. Um, but he is fairly limited, and I think that for the Kings to really get to the next level, and hopefully they're smart enough to realize this, um, Bogdanovich as another playmaker out there just really matters. Um, especially, you know, if you're trying to get Bagley a bunch of easy looks, though he can generate plenty himself. Um, I think he adds a dimension that Heald does not, and you don't really lose that much uh, in the shooting department because Bogdanovich can hit threes. Uh, I, I think he's potentially going to be quite a bit more valuable to them than Heald will. And Heald is clearly the bigger name and, and, you know, the draft pedigree and all that stuff. But I just like Bogdanovich a ton. Mine is De'Aaron Fox is a consensus top 17 player by the end of next season. And I'm saying I'm picking such an odd number because I want to make it clear that I don't think he's going to be in the necessarily the all NBA discussion, but I think he's going to be better than top 20. 
Would you rather have him or Devin Booker? De'Aaron Fox. I agree. I agree. Even if even if they were both maxed out right now, I'd still say Fox. There were I wrote about the best players age twenty three and under, and the only if we're taking them for their careers, not just for next season, the only players that I would want in front of him right now are Doncic and Zion Williamson. And at least one of those is in a surefire guarantee. You're rolling the dice in a big way on Zion. I, I love that you're as high on Fox as I am. I mean, it really reinforces that I'm not an insane person. Or maybe we both are. So I don't know if that's good or not. But we're equally insane then. Equally. That's right. A few of us on this show use Harry's Razors. If you visit their website, you can check out all different shave sets and face care products. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your special offer by going to harrys.com slash blue wire. Why try Harry's? Well, Harry's founders were two regular guys tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced razors. Harry's makes quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. This summer, refresh your wallet and your face with a Harry's trial set. It comes with weighted ergonomic handle for an easy grip, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade for a close shave, Rich lathering shave gel that will leave you smelling great, and a travel blade cover to keep you razor dry and easy on the go. Listeners of this show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash blue wire. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash blue wire to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to help support the show. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, they did some stuff this offseason. I don't know if anyone heard. They were 48 and 34. Last year, we know about them getting Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Was there an underrated move that you liked by them, Grant? Oh, gosh. Um, holding on to Landry Shamit, does that count? Um, yeah, I, I just, I'm trying to, you know, be offbeat with these. Um, just because obviously they were willing to give up everything um, to get the, you know, the top end guys that they wanted. And I, I mean, I don't know who wouldn't have, I, I'm sure the Thunder asked. Um, but I thought that just getting, keeping him around as a guy who might play some point guard, um, who is going to shoot, who's an underrated defender, who's one of the few like young guy, I mean, Zubac definitely counts, but a guy with some youth and some upside on a, on a pretty veteran established team. I think there's value there too. So holding on to him through this makeover, I think was, a was, is going to go down as something they're going to be very happy that they did. I want to pick them getting Mo Harkless and a first round pick, which they then were able to flip in the Paul George trade. But I don't think that's underrated because of the, the attention it's already received. Yeah. Yeah. Jermichael Green, keeping him after picking mm-hmm. look, that trade. Oh my Garrett Temple and Jermichael Green for Avery Bradley. Boy. Oh boy. Did the Clippers win that trade? <laughs> yeah. I, you green is going to, I'm sure we're going to talk about green several times here, but, um, but that it's funny that, uh, you know, retentions are, are their underrated moves when all the acquisitions were so high profile. Yeah. It's at Jermichael Green. I mean, he gave the Warriors some fits in the playoffs as the small ball five. He was the only center that, I mean, Harrell obviously did what he does, but, but I agree. I think, I think Green, um, I mean, you could talk me into him being their best guy to close at the five, um, given the matchups, but, uh, yeah. yeah people, Montrez Harrell's really good. He is not the best defender. And no. Green is clearly a better defender than him, so I could see him being in a lot of closing lineups over Trez. Maybe you play them together. I don't know how much that, that really helps you unless you see kind of a, a weak link that you can stash Trez on in, in the front court at the four or the five. Yeah, no, I agree. 
Um, I mean, do, I don't know what the next the next thing is the what we wish they would have done or Did biggest loss or something. Yeah. Or, or I mean, like, I don't know what to say. I mean, I think every, I guess like, could you have given up slightly fewer picks for Paul George? I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I guess maybe. But I mean, everyone agrees, you know, they just turned this team into a, a full on, you know, title through favorite I, uh, by a lot of accounts. Um, I don't know what to complain about. I mean, maybe you didn't need to commit to Zubac. Uh, yeah, like, that's what I was going to say. You want to see someone complain? Here it comes. <laughs> Let's hear it. I, who, I, I teed it up. Who who else was paying Zubac? Who was, who was paying him? Why did know. you need to give him four years and $28.5 million? It's a good question, but, I mean, uh, do you really want to butt heads with Jerry West and tell him he's wrong? No, I would never say that to his face, but... <laughs> It, look, look, and, and I get that the fourth year is a club option, so you want to look at his three years and $21 million. I, I, who was paying Zubak more than yeah. the taxpayers mid-level? I just want to know. <laughs> Tell me the team. Someone come forward. If there's a team executive listening, um, I apologize, one, that you're listening to this podcast. But two, just say that your team was going to pay him more than $5 million a year. And I'm not saying that that would be a gross overpay. I'm just, why? Uh, why? <laughs> it, right. I, I mean, like, so, yeah, we, we go over We've gone over this with most centers, I think, over the last couple of years as the market has sort of dictated that, like, unless you're a superstar Gobert type defender or offensive fulcrum on Jokic's level or something like that, like, you just can't spend on centers. I mean, even Deadman really, you know, we agree we, that was a good signing for the Kings, but like, that's a little pricey for a five and but he does face the floor and all that stuff. It's almost like they looked at this roster and I mean, if there is a weakness, I guess there's not a ton of size up front because you're looking at Green and Harrell as your your best options at the five, really. So maybe they just decided, like, you know, want to we're gonna need some bulk. This guy's young. He showed flashes. Let's just commit. I mean, that's totally the devil's advocate case, but but I think that's that has to have been the thinking um, because otherwise, I agree. It's like what. I would just like to note that he averaged under 10 minutes a game in the playoffs. So right. I mean, the face is average under 10. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> he's going to come, he's going to come back and average like 17 and eight and start to hit threes or something just to prove me wrong. But yeah, no, that that's, that's totally fair. Uh, but again, I think we can agree that like there were just a lot of home runs hit for the Clippers in this off season. That's not like a, that's not a hot take. Do you have a question mark for them? Did you just touch upon it? been talking about their size. Uh, I mean, that's one. I think the biggest one for me is like, I think we're all just sort of in the bag is like, okay, you got Kawhi, you got Paul George, you got, you know, a rotation that's like 11 deep. Um, you know, they're in the finals, right? Uh, but I think my question is, are we underrating the health component? Um, and there is a ton of depth here and that insulates them to some extent. But Paul George's shoulders are a major issue. Um, I, we don't know when he's going to be back. We don't know if he's going to shoot it like he did the second half of the year when he just, you know, totally fell out of the MVP discussion. I, I, I would f- suspect that Leonard will not play significantly more games than he did last year. Um, maybe this condition that, you know, some people have said is like a deteriorating thing with the quad muscle uh, deteriorates. So, I mean, it, it's, it's really like it's nitpicking. It's kind of scrambling for a downside. But my, my big question is just like, are we, are we sure that, these these two top end guys are healthy enough to make this team what everyone thinks it's going to be. What would be the over under the number of games that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George play in together during the regular season? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, without without like scouring the schedule and really thinking about how long George will be out, like 
I, I don't think it's unrealistic to say like they might play half of, they might play 41 together, you know, 50 would be great. I think, um, I think but the yeah, over it's not under gonna... should be like 47 or 48 and I might, yeah, it's I not... might take the under. It depends on, I, I, a big component is will George be ready to start the season? I, I, um, for everything I've seen and maybe there's new stuff out there, it seems highly unlikely. And if you're the Clippers and you've got like, you know, pretty grand aims for, for this year. And by the way, like, they got a two-year window before both of those say, guys. Yeah. Like you, you kind of gotta. It's got to be this year. So maybe you hold them out till December or something, just to be sure, because you know you get really two cracks at this, and you don't want to, you know, rush them back. So yeah, I, I, that's that. That could be the question: is just how many games they play together, um, and and it may not be as many as a lot of people think. That would be one of my questions. The one I'm going to go with, because I actually figured you were going to pick that one, is: is there going to be an issue when it comes to primary playmaking here? Because Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are kind of like the second guys. And if you have two seconds, two secondary playmakers, that can maybe be equated to one. But we just talked about we don't know how many games they're going to play together. Patrick Beverly's not that guy. Lou Williams has the pick and roll chemistry with Trez, but he's not Trez. He's not this natural point guard. Is that at all an issue for them? And, you know, are they willing to try Landry Shamit out at point guard? Because, one, he would have nice size for a point guard. But, two, he... He seems receives a lot of due for his credit and uh, his shooting. Excuse me, and he deserves it. Uh, he can move. He can just hit off the catch. But he has some stuff that he can do off the dribble. He ran some pick and rolls in both, uh, not so much in Philly, but he ran a, a, a few more. It seemed like with the Clippers after he was traded there. Just seems like someone who could be a competent ball handler. And then if you can get those minutes out of him, it's a non-issue. But I do think that's something we kind of have glossed over in the aftermath of the, the all the pomp and promise of the Clippers' offseason. Uh- I think sort of implicit in in what you're talking about is like this team does not have a lot of good passers um, and, and at any position. I mean, like, you know, Leonard, I think if you were poking holes in his incredible playoff run, it was that like he's not really an intuitive like play ahead of the play passer guy. He's like, I've got three guys hanging on my shoulders and I need to get rid <laughs> of the ball. And so I can see an open teammate and I will throw it to him. Um, you know, Beverly's not a conventional point guard. Lou Williams is a is sees the floor fine, but he's a bucket getter who his passing is kind of pick and roll passing. Um, I think, I think the playmaking just setting aside, like who's got the ball when it matters type of stuff is this could be a team that, um, you know, might be susceptible to just, you know, decent defensive pressure where you're doubling and you're making them scramble and they just don't, you know, move the ball that effectively. I hadn't really thought of that till you mentioned that, but I think that's something to kind of keep an eye on. Well, this might actually be a tough question. Will they be better on the defensive end or the offensive end? Yeah, so so having said all that, um, I think they'll be better on offense, which sounds ridiculous when you have George and Leonard. But but again, I don't think they're going to play that much. And I think the main reason I think offense is like, so you've got two superstars that'll be there with your first unit, and then you still get to send Lou and Trez to just smoke backups. So... <laughs> And like, and I think you give back a lot defensively with those two out there. So um, I think the offense is going to stay kind of humming along, you know, first quarter, second quarter into those, you know, those weird nether parts of the game, first half of the fourth quarter where you've got a weird lineups out there where the defense may drop off a little, but I just don't, I don't know how you're going to stop this team regardless of which of their 11 good NBA players are on the floor. I'm with you. I'm tempted to go defense just because the Beverly George Leonard thing is absolutely absurd. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But we don't know how many games all three of those guys are going to play together. The other thing for me is you have to get Lou Williams 
plenty of reps and he's just an offensive firecracker. And then right. the other, other thing for me, which might be the bigger thing for me, how, how many minutes, how much time is Georgia Leonard going to spend at the four? Because if, if you're viewing them as just the two and the three, the wing guys, that's perfectly fine. You don't really have that great of a defensive front court. Then, you know, Zubats, Trez up, up front at the five and eh. Jermichael Green, I don't really like him as a defensive four. I'd rather see him at the five there. Harkless is fine. Is Patterson healthy? Maybe he helps them. I'm just not crazy about their options outside of Leonard and George as a four. And maybe you can bump them up. You know, you play Shamit with Beverly, and then you have George and Leonard, and they're interchangeable with the three and the four. But do either one of them, you know, players are weird about which positions they want to play. Do either one of them want to shoulder a ton of – a, a huge defensive workload at the four. And then what does that even look like? Do we know that either of them would be super effective as a yeah. defensive four, depending on who they're going up against? So there's a chance the defense is better, but I think the offense is the safer, more comfortable pick. Yeah, I agree. Um, who's your breakout candidate for this roster? It, it's kind of, we're kind of short on them. It's another veteran team. I think it has to be Shamit. Um, yeah. Just, just because of where he is in his career, but, but also because like you said, you know, there I've you know you read these things about how you know he's been spending the summer working on you know point guard stuff. He was a point guard in college, so it's not a huge stretch. Um, I just think there are going to be so many instances where he'll be set up to succeed, whether that's playing the two with all of the defensive attention on you know superstars, and he's going to get a ton of open looks, or playing the one and again just sort of being an afterthought for the defense. And he's good enough with or without the ball, I think, to just be really efficient. Um, and, you know, maybe Beverly, he's not the youngest guy in the world, takes a step back. Maybe Lou Williams, who's, you know, certainly has his warts and, you know, is also not that young, you know, takes a step back and suddenly it's Shamit that's like, yeah, he's our he's our lead guard. That's it. Um, I think I think that's definitely realistic. So um, the skill and the, the potential opportunity, I think, really line up pretty well for him. The dare to be great pick would be Rodney Magruder. Just throwing it out there. They don't have yeah. a ton of backup wings. Uh, Landry Shamit, I guess you could consider a wing, but defensively, I think that those backup slots fall to Magruder and Harkless or better fits for them than a Shamit would be. You probably want to see him switching on to point guards before you want to see him switching on to true threes. But I don't know how many minutes Magruder is going to get. I, I think it's definitely Shamit, especially if they give him some, some spot time at point guard. That might give him uh, an extra opportunity to flourish. Yeah, yeah I agree. Player most uh, likely to be traded from the Clippers this season. This is a tough one. I mean, I, I think I think I'm going to lean toward Harkless, um, only because I actually like Magruder a little better than him. Um, and as you said, there's going to be such a minutes crunch. I guess I could see another team thinking like Harkless. Harkless is well, we want Portland Harkless or whatever three years ago or something. He's going to play the four. Um, maybe he'll remember how to shoot. He's going to defend. I think he would have value for another team. Whereas like a guy that's a suspect shooter who's utility is really as like a, a hustle rebounder, multi-position defender. Like we don't, we don't need you because we have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, so I guess just because he's not going to be maximized and he has some value, I'm, I'm going to go with him. Yeah. And I think since he's on an expiring contract, maybe there's a team where their season kind of goes off the rails and they're looking to cut salary and you're giving up a player that has two years left on his deal for one. One team that springs to mind, although I, I think they're a playoff team in the East, is you know maybe Detroit wants to get rid of Tony Snell at some point because they, they don't view themselves as a playoff team with this core all of a yeah. sudden, and that's something to look at. 
Uh, tough question on that team for sure. This this question's a little bit more fun, but in a tough way. Strongest year end of the award candidate, year end award candidate on the Clippers roster. I'll get that question right at some point. I, well, you have one more chance after this one. Um, I think uh, I think it's Doc Rivers for Coach of the Year um, because I think he, you know, it's sort of like the Oscars or like the Emmys where there's like a sort of a like a lifetime achievement sense to like if there's a director or an actor that's been nominated a bunch and they didn't win, but but then they do a really you know a decent job, you know, three years after that, that that ends up winning it for them. I think the Clippers are going to win a ton of games. I think Doc did a phenomenal job last year with, you know, a, a roster that everyone I think would agree uh, overachieved. Um, I, I think he could just be the, you know, it could be as simple as he's going to coach the team that wins 60 games and is first in the West and end of story. Um, but there's also the element of like, I think he's just got so much respect around the league and, and stuff like that, that uh, it could be his to lose. I'm going to go with, Lou Williams, six man of the year, because <laughs> Leonard and Paul George, I think are going to miss a, a good amount of time combined that Lou Williams is going to be no less essential offensively than he was last year. And if he's going to be coming off the bench again, which I think we can reasonably assume that he will, there'll be an opportunity for him to, to be that guy once again. And I, six man of the year is one of the awards where there doesn't seem to be voter fatigue. People no. don't mind voting for fucking Jamal Crawford, uh, every year and just like the same thing with Lou Williams and I think people might wonder why we're not picking MVP or defensive player of the year for Leonard or George I just don't think either of them are going to have the sample size I know Leonard said he's planning on playing the the entire regular season I don't think he is one and two it would be irresponsible of the Clippers to try to force to get him through that they saw how well it worked with Toronto the load management and they're dealing with a two-year window which is it's no it's no less uh, it, it's about as fragile as what the Raptors were dealing with. It's a year more, but it's only a year. So you have to be careful there. Well, and you got the vote splitting thing too. It's always, it's yeah, always so much easier for a guy to win it. If it's, you know, if he's clearly the driver of success and I, you know, barring something hard to imagine, I think it'll be, you know, ever. I think probably everyone agrees Leonard is better, but I mean, Paul George is a, a pretty much a consensus top 10 guy. So um, it's going to be tough for one or the other to emerge to the extent you would need to be like, oh, that's clearly the MVP. Um, so that you got to think about that too. Their most efficient path would be if one, if one of them misses time, like let's say George misses a huge chunk of the beginning of the season and Leonard ends up not being really load managed. That's how you yeah. build your case is that yeah. you carry the team without the star and, and then you have the sample size to boot. Yeah, I agree. The lineup you're dying to see from the Clippers. Okay, this is going to be weird and I don't even think it would necessarily work. But I So I would have I, I, Shamit, George, and Leonard are my two, three, four. And you can swap George and Leonard however you want. But then I also want Lou and Montrez Harrell at the one and the five. Ooh, that's so, fun. So, so this way... You and and this is why it would never happen. You your offense is based around the Williams Harrell pick and roll, except the guys spacing the floor and attacking late closeouts and stuff are Shamit, George, and Leonard. And I just there's no defense for that. But the Clippers, I just don't think would ever do it. I just can't imagine how fun it would be to have like Paul George attacking a scrambling defense after everyone collapses on Harrell. And it's just it's like it would just be chaos. So I'd love to see that. My lineup is Beverly Shamit. Leonard, Paul George, and Jermichael Green. That's probably the lineup I think they should close with a lot of the time. Yeah. 
just because I, I wonder how much of Harrell's value is mitigated when Lou Williams isn't on the floor. So do you really want him closing games at the five? Uh, I'm, I'm with yours, though. Yours is super fun. If they wanted to get mega weird, just pull the center. Pull Jermichael Green and throw Harkless in there, and let's see what yeah. happens. Yeah. I mean, there are going to be a lot of teams that that's – like even teams that have conventional centers, like – like say say just we'll take the Warriors because we're going to talk about them next. Like, are you really that concerned that either Green or like even Leonard is guarding Willie Cauley Stein? Like, are, is that as an exploitable matchup for the right. Warriors? Like, I think you could really get away with a lot because you're not really sacrificing that much length and and size if if George and Leonard are out there together. Where will the Clippers finish in the West? <sighs> we just talked up how. You know, we don't know how many games they're going to play, all this stuff. I just think they're so deep, um, and I, I, I think they're going to finish first. And I sort of, like, hate that I'm saying that because it feels like such conventional wisdom and all that stuff. But, like, the regular season is just different. And if you're talking about Rodney Magruder as, like, the 10th or 11th guy, and he's at least, to me, an average NBA player, so few teams have that, that, like, your floor is just way up there. Um, so I, I think I like them to finish first. There are, you know, five other teams that could, could win the conference, but, um, the combination of top end talent and just this depth is insane. Um, I just, I think they have the best shot at it. I would say one or two as well. I'm yeah. I'm with you right yeah. there. What's your bold or boldish prediction for the Clippers? Uh, that Shamit has, this is kind of like my Bogdanovich pick. Um, Shamit has a more positively impactful season than Lou Williams. And that's not pricing in Lou Williams, like misses 50 games or whatever. Um, I'm just really high on Shamit. And I think Williams is old enough to where sort of, if you've got their, their lines on a, on a graph moving to the right, like they're going to X and Shamit is going to pass him going up as Williams is trending down a little bit. I don't know if this counts as a bold prediction. I think because of how they how frequently they've been crowned already, it might be. I they're not going to come out of the Western Conference. Nice. I can see I them like fitting it. with the best record in the league, even if you want to go that far. I'm just not going to have them coming out of the Western Conference. Just a gut you, feeling at this point. Okay, I think that's fair. I mean, I think we just talked about how the depth is like what makes them such a good regular season team, but then the playoffs are just they're a different thing, and I don't know. I mean, if you've got George and Leonard healthy, man, I, I don't know. They might even be a better playoff team. But but I like I like your bold prediction of picking the field over the Clippers to come out of the West. Yes. <laughs> Look, hey, year one, these things don't typically work out. And so I'm going to actually play the odds. It's I think maybe the tables have turned because Kawhi did it in Toronto. Just came and they won a title. Everyone's so quick to think that they're going to be the best team in the West. And in the regular season, because they're so deep, I could see it. And they, they are better top-heavy than tapping into their depth. There's just, you look at a team like the Warriors where their core pieces, if Clay Thompson's healthy, will have been together longer. Uh, the Lakers and Anthony Davis, it, it, those two, that team, I don't want to say has more star power or that their stars fit better. It's just, you have LeBron in the playoffs and you might, right. there, there's a chance in any given series, like let's say Clippers and Lakers went head to head. Would it be completely irrational to say that there's a pretty good chance the Lakers have the two best players in that series? Oh, no, I think that's totally reasonable. Yeah, totally reasonable. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to MyBookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet football this season, bet with MyBookie. Did you know that you can even bet on games after kickoff? 
if by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. Or if you're the kind of person that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year to do it. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate this offer. Again, they will double your first deposit with promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. The final team of the Pacific Division, the drastically different looking Golden State Warriors, 57-25 and 25 last year. Grant, we know all the big stuff that happened. It, it hurt. Uh, it, it rattled a lot of fans. There's been a lot of fallout in the aftermath of it. Jordan Bell is now in Minnesota. But what was, what was the underrated move by the Warriors? Uh, that's not, a move that's not getting enough love this past offseason. I mean, it's kind of a two-headed thing. Um, they're paying Kavon Looney and Willie Cauley-Stein less than $7 million combined next year. I can, um, can we pause for a moment? Because I didn't even stop to think about that ever. <laughs> I realized how cheap I, I remember seeing the Looney deal and I was like, that's nice. And you know, obviously how much Willie Cauley Stein is making. I never stopped and viewed it in those terms. So like, look, I, I will confess to being um, way higher on, on Looney than like, this is where the vestiges of my Warriors fandom um, <laughs> like are still like, you can still see like the, I haven't covered them up entirely just because I'm so in the bag for Looney. I just, I would want him on my team under any circumstances and to get him for just nothing um, is incredible. And then Cauley Stein, you know, inconsistent, kind of flighty, um, has his flaws, but like he's a starting center um, and, and I think is in a position to succeed now and they're just paying their centers nothing and they're both good. So I'm pretty into that. And Look, this only proves my point that the Clippers should not have paid Zubas right. seven plus million a year. Yeah, the underrated move for me, I really liked the the Alec Burks signing. I just think it gives you another guy on the cheap who can do some stuff off the dribble in Clay Thompson's absence. I like him for this team more than I like McKinney. I like him more than the Glenn Robinson the third pickup, and I, I there's a chance to me that he could end up playing a, a pivotal part. Uh, on on this team for the first half of the season, and even I when mean, Clay Thompson comes back, to have him coming off the bench, that's would he have been their best offensive player off the bench last year? Oh gosh, uh, I mean, it would have. I mean, does Demarcus Cousins count? I mean, all right, it's fair. Like, no, he has to. <laughs> he no, but no, but you're, in the finals. He has to. No, but your 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 point your point stands. I mean, like, and it look, it's an issue going right now. Uh, they, it's just, I mean, he might be their best guy by default, just because. And like, I guess I'm going to jump into you know the miss, I guess, of the off season or whatever. Um, this wing depth is bad. Um, it, they just, they don't have wings. It, they have clay. They, <laughs> just, I mean, I, so that's another thing. I think, I think there's a pretty good chance that Thompson plays like maybe 15, 20 games this year. Um, and it's just not, it's a, it's a lost year. Like I'm not counting on really anything from him, even though he's a cyborg and he wanted to come back in the game with a torn ACL and all this other stuff. Um, I, I'm not counting on production from him and certainly not like typical Clay Thompson production. So then you're talking about McKinney's going to start. He is a severely limited player. Um, Burks is going to play. I mean, now you're talking about, you know, you mentioned Glenn Robinson. I just like, 
they had they had they needed so they need so much more in terms of wings on this team, especially someone that can guard. Because man, are they going to struggle with wing defense? That's why you're going to trade D'Angelo Russell midseason. I hope so. I mean, I think that's that's what they would tell you if you uh, hooked him up to a you know if you pumped him with a sodium pentothal or whatever the truth serum is. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's my offseason misses. They just they've got a giant hole at, at uh, on the wing. Yeah, that I, I think I would agree with you there. I just don't know how else they could have filled it. Right. You know, the cheap wings just don't grow on trees, and they didn't have – they had even less flexibility because of the Kevin Durant sign trade. So th- that definitely hurt them. But I'm not sure that they could have signed an appreciable upgrade compared to who they have, even if that doesn't happen. Or let's just throw the hard cap out of the equation. Let's say they, this is the roster they have, but they weren't hard capped, so they would have been able to do some more stuff. There was no way for them to keep Igadala just in that situation. Right. My, my issue with them is that they, they gave up two first round picks yeah. this summer. That's where I, I think that they just missed. I don't think that they should have had to do it for Igadala. I'm not saying Memphis should have done it without the pick, but it, it seems really hard for me to believe that they couldn't have gotten offloaded Igadala for, for smaller sweetener. Maybe it was like an I, actual player I, that they had on the roster. One of the youngsters that, you know, we shouldn't be, too high on or I just I don't even know could there there had there were fringe contenders with space at that point it just seemed like they could have gotten away with not giving up two first round picks this summer so I think I mean this is this was kind of the crux of their offseason right as they were in a position where every move they made was sort of reactionary built around Durant leaving and and Thompson sort of being a, a lost you know just dead money almost for the first year of his new deal so to me, the, I'm, and this is going to be me being an apologist. I don't know how much I believe this, but just to justify it, if you had to, I think it was a case where the league knew that the Warriors were in a position where they're going to do this sign and trade because they're committed to getting something instead of nothing for losing Durant. And the cost of that was the hard cap and having to move Iguodala. And I think the league, it's not like a collusion thing, but they were just like, we know what your situation is and we're not going to help you out of it. And I think the whole league just had them over a barrel. And I guess they just decided that, like, look, we're not a team that needs Andre Iguodala's services next year because, like we talked about, he's a 16-game player and he doesn't really fit our new timeline, whatever that is. Um, and I think the league just stuck it to him. Um, and that they just just siphoned those picks out, um, which good for them. But it feels – if the whole thing, I agree with you, feels like – sort of a miscalculation by the Warriors in that like they sort of had to have gamed this out and known this was a possibility ahead of time. And it's just strange that they got themselves into a position where they're going to have to pay such an insane cost to, to get rid of a useful player. Um, it just all feels very like uncharacteristic, but, but yeah, it's, it's really tough to defend that. I agree. At the same time, you, can you view it as is, is D'Angelo Russell or what you end up getting for him worth Andre Godal and two first round picks? And well, I, that, I don't know. Do you have a strong take on that? I I would say yes. I honestly okay. think it's going to end up being yes. My whole thing is, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I would have rather have given Jacob Evans or Jordan Poole than one of those first round picks. If that oh. would have been the difference, I 100% would have given up one of them before one of those first round picks. And just such distant first round picks for the for the Iguodala one. What did they say? It was a 2021 pick or yeah. was it 2022? It's, it's picks that are not the types of picks you want to give up when you're not really sure how good you're going to be a few years from now. Right. It was, I, 
I'm just not sure why they, it was a 2024 first round pick. Excuse me. I knew they gave up one of those super distant ones. Absolutely not. No, no, sorry. No. Um, on that note though, what's your biggest question for this team? Is it, is it, it's kind of the wing situation, isn't it? It, it's the wing situation. Um, I guess you could. I guess I'll expand it out to: um, Is this team going to stop anybody? Um, and and it, which you know they have Draymond Green, who I think is you know one of the be- best defensive players ever. That's not controversial. Um, but like, if if you're one, two, three, Curry competes. He does what he can with his frame and the load he has to carry offensively, but Russell is a major minus. McKinney, I think, I don't know, I don't know if McKinney has a positive defensive reputation around the league. He looks like a guy that should be a good wing defender, but he just, uh, he, he's not laterally quick. He doesn't use his length or athleticism nearly as well defensively. He's basically a really good offensive rebounder, and, and he can hit the occasional open three, and he just looks like a 3 and D guy. I mean, they just have nobody that's going to shut down a good opposing scorer. Um, and, you know, Looney is fine positionally on defense, but he's undersized as a center. Collie Stein is a terrible rim protector. I just like, I don't know where the stops are going to come from for this team. So I think they're going to really struggle defensively. With you there, and you kind of answered the the next question too. Mine would be though for them, is it's kind of a two-part one. Will D'Angelo Russell finish the season? And if they do move him, what are they getting for him? Because the permutations of Jeff Teague for D'Angelo Russell, uh, Jeff Teague and Robert Covington for D'Angelo Russell, and I think other stuff has to be included because of the Warriors hard cap, that doesn't that doesn't do it for me. When you took the swing on Russell, I think it needed to be on the guys that you could get a, a player that's more than more than one of a Robert Covington. Not saying two Robert Covingtons, but I wouldn't view Jeff Teague as a solid long-term piece at two no. long-term moderate pieces, or maybe someone who you think is more transcendent now um, that you're getting from a team that wants to play the long game instead. And my natural question would be how many games is Clay Thompson going to appear in this season? And, and what is he going to look like? You already mentioned it could be 20 games and he won't look like himself. If anyone's going to pull the Patrick Beverly though, and come back early and play really well, it'd be Clay Thompson. Yeah. I mean, I'd find me a tougher guy. Like, I, I just don't know. I don't know if there is one, but, and, and like, man, do they need him? Cause then, I mean, he answers your, who's going to get a stop right uh, as a wing defender and, and who's going to be, you know, another guy that can, can make a shot, which they're actually kind of short on. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think that that's a critical question, but I kind of feel like I know the answer to the Clay Thompson question, at least for this year. Are they going to be better? Are they going to grade out better on offense or defense? Yeah, I mean, we hit this. I, I think I don't know what how good they'll be offensively. Actually, I'm kind of optimistic offensively because top five easily, right? No, I mean, I, the thing is, like, so if Curry's on the floor, what you know, they won't. They'll be great. Uh, that's just that's he's that good. Uh, this is not a revelation, but like, the, one of the huge problems for this team has been when Curry's not on the floor. They had to do weird stuff where they staggered Durant's minutes and all this other stuff, but they never had another guard like who's such a pass shoot dribble threat um, to sort of just, you know, soak up those, you know, the end of the second or the beginning of the second and fourth quarters to just kind of keep things afloat from a playmaking standpoint. There's just really never been that guy on this roster. So I, I, I'm kind of optimistic about the offense. Um, but yeah, defense is going to be a catastrophe, I think. I, I don't know what really else there is to say on that one. I'm 100% with you. Uh, breakout candidate for this team or someone relative to what they've been, who, who, who could make a leap? I think Colley Stein is in a position to succeed um, because 
you know, the Warriors have had, a, you know, just let's, let's take JaVale McGee, um, who, you know, was out of the league, but kind of, you know, he's in the league now basically because the Warriors turned him into a dominant lob threat who just didn't really have to do a lot else. And Collie Stein, I think, can do that. Um, he's, you know, more mobile, um, is a better rebounder than McGee. He's just going to be in a position where, like, I think at least with the starters, Curry and Russell are going to space the floor. Draymond Green is a dynamite passer. Um, I think he's, you know, he's already kind of an established solid to, you know, C minus NBA player. I think he could really set himself up to be like a, a good starter and then make a ton of money on his next contract from another team. Good pick. And he's one, a lot of people for the money that they got him. He's, I don't trust him defensively at all but no. for the money that they got him. The, the type of jump that you're talking about is not unrealistic. I'm picking Kavon Looney, which I feel like might be a bit of a cop out, but I'm also of the mind like you don't have to deal with the Marcus Cousins, Jordan Bell, even Jonas Jerebko, like just sort of that. It was a log jam of underwhelming big men, and maybe he gets to play more than 18 minutes a game. And that just really <laughs> allows him the opportunity to shine. And it also seems like the Warriors have to run more pick and roll next season because why else would you trade for D'Angelo Russell? Yeah. And that's something that I think could benefit him as well. So I think this is a, a guy that we look back on and say, maybe he's playing the rotation role where it's closing on 25 minutes a game and, and he's really grabbing those boards on the, on the offensive glass and he's made some contributions at, as a rim runner and he's helped them be not as terrible on defense as we expected or, or something like that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, look, you're not going to you're not going to uh, get me to play devil's advocate and say Looney's not great and it won't you know continue to be greater. I love that guy. Player most likely to be traded. Gosh, is it the guy they traded for that uh, or they signed that they expl- just 100 percent intend to trade because he just doesn't make a lot of sense? I, I mean, it, I, if you have a case for anyone ahead of Russell, I would love to hear it. I don't because they don't have the salary filler. They're not going to move Draymond <laughs> yeah. Green. Uh, now, unless it's uh, unless it's in a Giannis attempt to Kupo trade, essentially, and that's just not happening. But my yeah, so here would be in sub of this category and such an obvious answer. One for the time that they have D'Angelo Russell, do you expect them to run a, a ton of more pick and roll? Two, is that going to benefit or help Stephen Curry because he's so dangerous running pick and roll? But there's a part of me where the way we see him, you know, the way this Warriors use him now. Like, what if it ends up he's kind of orbiting Willie Cauley-Stein, D'Angelo Russell pick and rolls as, as this standstill shooter, basically? And then three, do you see a path to D'Angelo Russell working in Golden State for more than this you know, six-month period or whatever? You know, I, so first of all, I think, I think yes, they're going to play more pick and roll. And I think it's kind of the thing that, like, when things go bad for the Warriors, everyone starts to scream about. It's like, just let's not overthink this. A curry green pick and roll yields something great every time. Just because they're they're like Draymond Green is a perfect short roll passer who is smart enough to know what to do when defenses switch or sag off. Like they've just seen it so many times. They would be crazy not to run it way more than they usually do, especially because there's just way less surrounding talent. You just have to. Um the other the thing with Russell. Like just by default, his, what he does is kind of necessary um, as like a, as just a guy that kind of keeps the water level at an acceptable height when, you know, Curry's not in or, or whatever. Like he's, I think he's a high volume 
low to moderate efficiency guy that on this team is really useful. So I don't feel like the Warriors are going to get in a position where they're going to be trying to trade a guy whose numbers have cratered or they're just totally going to have to take way less than, you know, the, you know, take 40 cents on the dollar or whatever, because I do think he's going to look halfway decent to pretty good just because of the situation. Um, that said, I still don't see a scenario where he's a long-term piece. I just, I just don't think that was, uh, that was their thinking. What do you think? I'm with you. There's part of me that thinks he's going to finish the season there, but at the same time, if you acquired him with the intention of trading him, that you've in theory had time already to suss out what trade packages might be out there. Yeah. Strongest year end award candidate for the Warriors. I mean, if he's healthy and, and, and it looks like, uh, you know, if this team is as thin as it kind of appears to be, I think the Curry MVP case is going to just kind of be there. Um, and I think it will help that this team is rightfully viewed as at a seriously diminished level from what it was. And if he comes out and has, you know, it wouldn't have to be his his unanimous MVP level type of play. But if he's even that first year or even the year after after his unanimous MVP, um, I just could see a groundswell of support. And not to say he wouldn't deserve it, because um, I think he could just go crazy. Um, but, but, you know, the, the MVP is also kind of about a narrative and, uh, you know, everybody, he's unassailable. Everyone still loves Curry, despite everyone hating the Warriors. Um, I just think, I think it's kind of on a tee for him if, if things go, uh, if they break right. Yeah. I would love to pick Draymond Green for defensive player of the year, but the Warriors are not going to be anywhere near yeah. good enough for him to win that award. And I think very Steph, if I had to pick right now, I would pick him to win MVP. next. Year. Would you really? Yeah. I like it. So uh, he's always my pick there too. Line up you're dying to see from this team. I mean, can I pick p- other players that are not on this roster to make a half decent line? I, <laughs> wow. Like, I, so, okay. I mean, we've kind of gone with conventional stuff. Um, I'll, I'll like kind of curveball it a little bit. I, I, it's just because I want to see these guys and see what they look like. Um, I, I would like to see Evans, uh, Jacob Evans, for those of you who do not follow the Warriors G League affiliate, um, who's been groomed, who was drafted as a wing a couple of years ago and has been groomed as to become a point guard. Um, I want to see him playing the one with Jordan Poole at the two, who they drafted this past, uh, this, this most recent draft, um, with Eric Paschal playing the three, which is also weird because he's not really a three, and then Green, and you can put Looney out there. I mean, like... Do you, you need an you, adult? What? <laughs> like, what the fuck is this lineup? No, this is the lineup I want to see because I just have no idea what it's going to look like. And I know what Curry is going to do. I know what Russell's going to do. Um, I want to see what these guys that the Warriors have drafted that, oh, and, you know, th- during this dynasty or at the tail end of it or whatever, they've missed on like almost everybody. Um, so I want to see if they developed Evans. I want to see if Poole is an NBA player and I want to see if Pascal is the versatile, you know, hybrid forward. Um, Cause I kind of know what the, what the main guys can do. Um, I just want to see these younger guys, how they fit if they are long-term pieces. Cause like, look, that suddenly the long-term picture matters for the Warriors and the, the few young guys they have need to work. Um, so I want to know if these guys are it or if these are just all, you know, lost causes in these last few drafts. That's a pretty good justification as far as batshit crazy lineup suggestions go. I wanted to go weird with this one since I picked so conventional on all the other teams. I'm actually mad you got to go first because I thought I was getting a little weird with mine, but I want to see Steph 
D'Angelo Russell, Alfonso McKinney, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. The death lineup needs to live on in some form. <laughs> Man, we'd have to think of what to name that. It ain't the death lineup. I don't know what you call it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. They, that could definitely be or would definitely be a sieve of a lineup. Still, I want to see it. Once Clay Thompson's healthy, it needs to happen. I'm hoping they don't trade D'Angelo Russell before Clay Thompson comes back. I, I just want to see what the Warriors are going to look like with D.A.R., Steph, and Clay Thompson. I just and Draymond, Draymond Green obviously too. I just want to see it. Yeah, no, I mean Thompson just changes everything. We like we said. I mean, I don't want to reiterate, but like he he sort of just just fills in the gaps uh, on both ends, and suddenly you you just look at a you look at the depth chart with him in there, and you're like, oh, okay, this team means business. But without it, it's just like just such a glaring hole in the middle. Where are they going to finish in the West? Oh my God, I, is this this is the hardest question because my, again, my fandom um, just kind of clouds everything. Um, I'm going to say sixth, and I feel like you're going to go higher, but I'm just not comfortable with with such a top heavy team. Curry's missed 43 games the last two years. Green missed 16 last year and basically played his way into shape. You know, in March, um, I just think the margin for error is so slim with those two guys just having to do everything and Russell to a lesser extent that I just don't feel comfortable putting them any higher. So I'm going to answer the next two together. But my boldest prediction is part of where they're going to finish in the West. I'd like to know if this is subject to change through the night before the regular season or whenever Andy <laughs> and I record our over unders pod, the Warriors are going to finish second in the Western conference. The wow. Look at you. Look, here's my justify. We, I we ran through it in when we were talking about the Lakers. There, all the other teams have question marks. If you want to say you know the Jazz are going to be better than them or the Nuggets, fine. I both of them. I don't know. I, I'm willing to entertain the fact that not both of them will be better. You can't tell me for a fact Houston's going to be better. You're not going to talk me into San Antonio definitely being better. I would say the Clippers are the only definitive team in the Western Conference that. Are sh- is shaping up to be better than the Warriors. And we don't even know how many games Paul George and Kawhi are going to play. If if you're asking me, is it more likely for the Clippers to finish first in the West or the Warriors to finish second, since I did pick the Clippers to finish first, I'd actually still pick the Warriors at two. I, I Stephen Curry is going to go supernova. Draymond Green, the team is probably going to be bad on defense, but I feel like he's going to be really locked in. To have Kevon Looney in sort of that unquestioned uh high volume center role now, or maybe even starting center role. Actually, he might not even start. Who knows with Lily Cauley Stein. I just feel, and I, I just feel like D'Angelo Russell is going to end up fitting better than we expect. And whether they end up trading him for players that fit better, or whether he ends up working out, uh, the Warriors are going to catch people off guard. Um, I might be baking in a little too much of Clay Thompson here. We'll find out. This might blow up in my face, but Warriors are going to finish second in the West. That is my prediction for where they're going to, stand obviously and that takes care of my my boldish but that might be flat out bold prediction as well i think it's bold but i'll my bold is going the other way and is that that's and again i i think it's i'm defining bold as like definitely not betting my life on it by definition if it's bold it's maybe not likely to happen i think them missing the playoffs would be my bold prediction and it's strictly built around what's this team look like if steph curry well by the way the guys that you need the most curry and green are fresh off of five finals runs and just like the toll they played an extra season plus uh, in the last five years. And both are, you know, clearly I think 
past their primes just because of the aging curve. Um, if one of those guys, Green or Curry, misses a significant chunk uh, of the season, there's just no. Yeah. I just I just don't see how this team competes night to night. Um, I mean, competes is one. I mean, succeeds night to night. Um, I just think when you're this top heavy and this dependent on guys that have just been running to the ground for a half decade running, um, I think your downside is pretty profound. Um, I don't, I, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't bet on them missing the playoffs, but I think my bold prediction would be that, that that's, that's actually a, a legitimate possibility. I will say the mar- no matter which end of the spectrum you fall on, the margin for error does not exist. Right. Zero. That has been the Pacific division preview thank you grant hughes for being super generous with your time if you guys are not following grant on twitter what are you even doing with your life at this point at gt underscore hughes spelled exactly as it sounds fantastic writer for bleach report check him out there bonus also just a good friend of mine after all these years of us working together so again follow him on twitter check out his work at bleach report until next time i leave everybody with a shout out to kyle anderson and absolutely nobody else Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.